You are listening to College Success Habits with Jesse Mogul, episode 52. Welcome to the show. Oh, this show's the best. The best show. Best show. Best show ever. Welcome to the College Success Habits podcast. Do you want to triumph through school and have a little fun along the way? Learn habits to help you attain better productivity and hacks to help you slide through classes at any age. Here's your host, college circuit speaker, Jesse Mogul. Welcome back to College Success Habits. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. One whole year of shows, my friends. One whole year. How phenomenal. I just want to thank everybody who listens. There are literally thousands of you out there. I cannot believe the growth of this show over the last year. It has been phenomenal. I only ended up missing about six episodes, I think, which I'm pretty happy with considering you know, there's the holidays. I know that I had to bank a lot of episodes for the holidays last year. There has been some times where I've just had to miss one here or there because of scheduling. Uh, certainly, I think there's been a couple just within the coronavirus alone, just because things get chaotic. You wouldn't think they'd get chaotic, but <laughs> I can assure you, things can get chaotic even whenever you have tons of time. Uh, it's funny, when this started, everyone came at me with, oh, you know, you've got all this free time. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with all this free time? And I barely had free time before the corona. Um, I do. I, well, yeah, I have it back now. So I almost said I do. Then I almost said I did. And now I can say I have it again. My uh, job back at the hotel here in Los Angeles, they have called us back in. I am grateful that I have that job. Before, I would get upset that I was still doing the hospitality industry thing here in Los Angeles while I was getting all of this going with my career and the book coming out and the podcasts and the coaching and the speaking. And then, boom, everything dropped out of the of culture, of society. And we all got locked inside of our houses. And had I only been a uh, coach and speaker and author, I wouldn't have been eligible for unemployment. And I would have had to go after one of these small business loans. It took a lot longer for my friends to get those. I was able to step right into unemployment it has certainly paid dividends as far as making sure that all my bills were taken care of on time. So it's just funny how the universe works. This time last year, I was chomping at the bit to leave the hotel. Multiple times I was prepared to, uh, not, not just mentally and emotionally, financially. Everything was playing in my favor. And there was just this little voice in the back of my head that was like, mm, not yet, not yet. It's, you know, we talk about, the book and the seven principles, Be Decisive, is one of them. If you've been listening for any length of time, you know this already. And it didn't feel like the right time to make that decisive decision. So I chose decisively to stay and be happy with that decision. And here we are finishing up the quarantine. Perhaps we'll see. We're seeing spikes in numbers throughout the country. And it's just been such a Whoa, let's take a breath. Let's take a breath because there's been a lot going on in society between the quarantine and the protests over George Floyd's death in Minneapolis. Just so much going on. And that's why we're going to talk today about 
emotional maturity and understanding how to respond rather than react. And if I go back over my some of my show notes, um, I see that I've talked about uh, maturity versus growth, taking responsibility for yourself. That was episode 46. Love that episode. If you haven't had a chance to hear that one, I highly recommend that you go back and check it out. Emotional self-regulation was episode 39. That's a really great one too. You can go back and check it out. Uh, just being able to regulate the ups and downs of your emotions. You can also check out uh, limiting beliefs and limiting mindset back in episode 27. So I've covered some of this before, but because I know a lot of you don't necessarily like to go back and listen to the old episodes again, and even if you do, and I hope you do, because I provide them for, has evergreen content, meaning that they don't go out of style. They're always going to be current. There's going to hold knowledge in there that's going to sustain evergreen, like the trees. They don't die. They don't lose their pine needles that much. They live all the way through the winter like this information can continue to live as well. And so I also believe that talking about something one time does not make it a done conversation. And because we tend to only remember 10 to 20%, 20% if we're lucky, 10% if we're the average kind of person, we only end up retaining about 10% of the information that we take in. And so going back over and talking about emotional maturity and emotional balance is important, especially with so much going on in society and so much happening. Um, I mean, let's face it, the news just it wants you to constantly be in a state of fight, flight, or freeze. So if you've been spending a lot of the quarantine paying attention to the news, might I recommend you turn it off? <laughs> because having yourself in a state of fight, flight, or freeze uh, all day long is it's going to be exhausting. And you're, man, I mean, you talk about the stress coursing through your veins. Uh, you know, there's, there's, that, that's just a horrible way to go about your day. And, you know, you, you talk about cortisol levels in the body, um, which is, you know, what is released into your bloodstream from the body whenever you feel anxiety and stress. This cortisol, it shoots you up full of basically like, pay attention kind of hormones, meaning fight, flight, or freeze, right? You know, it shoots you up and it's like, make a decision. Life, we're in, we're in danger. Are we going to fight, flight, freeze? Do we sit here and just stare at the bear? Do we run away from the bear? Do we charge the bear? What do we do? Well, guess what? The news is the bear. <laughs> if you're walking around the woods and you come across a bear, you got a problem. When you're watching news and it's running you mad and you're listening to all these people on Facebook and Twitter just scream at one another and it's making you mad, here you can turn it off. Can't turn the bear off. And one of the reasons why I want to get into this today is because I'm reading this really amazing book uh, called The Abandonment Recovery Workbook. And it's a project that I'm doing uh, in order to get my spiritual self in, aligned. You know, I, I had a, I've buried most of the family members that I love, definitely my mom and my stepdad. Um, some really important people in my life have gone and passed away. And because of this, I've, I'm, I've noticed that I have some abandonment issues when I get into relationships, when I'm, you know, with the way that I react and, and um, respond to my friendships. And so I'm like, well, what a great way to align my spiritual side. And we've talked about this before, but I'll say it again. Spiritual doesn't have to have anything to do with religion. Your spiritual side 
your morals, your ethics, your values, the principles you align yourself with, humility, integrity, gratitude, these kind of things. And so for me, if I want to be able to, you know, be like Eckhart Tolle talks about, release the ego, you know, be in the present moment, be at one with myself, be centered and well grounded in all of this cool hippy dippy stuff I'm into. Um, I believe that going through and finding out where all of these sadness and grief and disbelief that of, of what has happened to me in my life, being able to go through and, and sort of harvest it out and, you know, take it out of the shadows and put it in the light so that I can deal with it now. And I really cannot stress this enough that if you dealt with a lot of trauma in your childhood and teenage years, and certainly if you start to notice it coming to you in your college years and you're not happy with the way that you're behaving as far as perhaps just name a vice. Do you eat too much, sleep too much, play too many video games, drink too much, do drugs too much, sex up too much, gamble too much, name it. You know, anything that you're doing to the point where it's actually becoming detrimental to you, then it's going to be imperative that you sit down with yourself and you figure out why you're buffering away from your life using this particular vice. Now, buffering, as we've said in the past, is what humans do in order to not deal with the situation at hand. It's called buffering because think about a computer whenever you're loading up a video and the little spinny colored wheel shows up. It's buffering, right? It's not ready to handle what you're trying to do with it, so it's got to pause and gather its thoughts and get all you know get enough RAM together to be able to pull off what you're doing. Well, when humans buffer, we don't want to deal with what's happening right now. We can't deal. We don't have enough RAM. And so what we just end up doing is going off and you know, something completely different to take our minds off of what's actually causing us pain, You know what's, what's causing us anxiety or anxiousness or whatever the negative emotion is that tends to be something that you will buffer away from. No, one, no one's buffering away from going to the amusement park <laughs> unless you have a lot of anxiety about roller coasters. But you, you know, when you're ready to do something, when it's something you really like, you have a ton of enthusiasm and you charge into it. When it's something that you don't want to do, you'll buffer. And that tends to be in college, video games, and sex and drugs and rock and roll and you know, drinking up and staying out late and things of that nature. And you really want to be mindful of that. One of the reasons I started this show was I really wanted to be able to speak directly to the college-age students that I spent 12 years being and used alcohol and drugs to buffer my way through the entire time. And it didn't serve my highest good. I'm not saying don't go out and have fun. I'm also not saying that you should drink yourself to excess or do drugs by no means. But I'm also not going to be one of those you know, square you know, 40-something dudes who's going to sit here and say, you know, do as I say, not as I do, did, because that's, it's going to fall on deaf ears. I'm not an idiot. You know, everyone has to live their own life. And so you have to understand where you're going to start to develop your boundaries to the vices. Um, and when, you know, being mindful that when you go off and you partake in excess, there is a price to pay, whether it's the next morning in the hangover, whether it's decisions you made while you were doing it, uh, whether it's the way you behaved in front of other people, decisions lead to consequences. It's plain and simple. Good decisions, good consequences. Bad decisions, bad consequences. It doesn't take Einstein to figure this out. And so as I'm going through this abandonment book, and it's talking to me about 
the reason why humans behave the way that we do. And this is just by page 22. I've only been doing this for a day. And I already have to do a podcast about it. So you know you're going to hear more about this because I have just begun to scratch the surface of this book. And it is absolutely fantastic. If you have any abandonment, grief, loss, sadness issues, and you want to be able to do uh, what I'm doing, The Abandonment Recovery Workbook by Susan Anderson. Um, Just go on Amazon, type in The Abandonment Recovery Workbook. Um, I'll drop the name of it into the show notes and uh, throw a link up so you can go directly to Amazon and check it out if that's something that you're into. And you know, do it, do it or don't, you know, it's, I'm just providing resources here and I don't want to stick too long on why you should or shouldn't do it. Um, but it's, you know, five stages of healing from abandonment, heartbreak, loss. I'm telling you, if you have suffered a major heartbreak in high school and inevitably you're going to end up having one in college, man, if I could have known about this kind of work, I don't even know if this kind of work existed back whenever I was in college. And my, I graduated in 2006, so we're not talking too long ago. Um, this book came out in 2016, First New World Printing 2016. Oh, nope, copyright 2003. Well, son of a gun. <laughs> this would have been really helpful in 2005 and 2006. Um, so, uh, well, you know, that's what happens. You know, you don't discover it till you're ready to discover it. The, what really just took me by, you know, just not necessarily surprised, but what I feel like there's an awakening happening with what I'm reading now. And I've done, uh, I've done a lot of uh, brain research and psychology classes and, and and things of that nature. So I know what an amygdala is, and I know what the cerebral cortex is. I know what these two ap- these two areas of the brain do, but because of everything that's going on in our society right now, I feel like a lot of people are, are reacting very emotionally rather than responding with a centered, grounded, um, you know, self-assured kind of response, right? We've talked about this. Reaction is emotionally triggered. Response is grounded and centered, right? And that's what you want to do. When, you, when somebody cuts you off and you flip them off and you, you try to chase them down and you can beat their ass, oh, how dare you cut me off? That is emotionally triggered. That is emotionally immature. That's how a child responds to things. That is not what you are. You're an adult and you will respond accordingly. Someone cuts you off and in your head, who knows? There's an infinite amount of reasons that person could have done it. The easiest one to go to is that they're just a jerk who wanted to you know, make it through the yellow light. It could, for all you know, they could have just found out something tragic happened to somebody they love and they're trying to rush there, right? Being emotionally grounded and centered just says, whatever is going on in that person's life, it's not have anything to do with me. They just go on ahead, you know, just go on ahead. Heaven forbid if they actually do cause an accident, then you actually have to deal with them face to face and still don't get out of your car and start screaming at them, right? You just don't know. It's just like move through it. And so the amygdala, and the cerebral cortex play a vital role in how we respond to things emotionally. The amygdala is this little peanut-sized area of your brain. And picture it if you were to you know put your finger right at your forehead and just draw a line up. It would it would just go a couple, two, three, four inches based off the pictures I've seen. Uh, basically, not not the crown of the head, but about halfway between your forehead and the crown of your head is where this this amygdala sits, and it is the emotional response area. It is basically the little child. It is They call it the mammalian part of the brain, and 
it is where you tend to have these over over responses, if you will, to emotional situations in the book, the way that it's framed is that whenever you have a heartbreak, you have this feeling that your life is over. You're never going to be a complete person again. This, oh my God, why is this happening to me? I'm going to die. This is the most intense pain I've ever felt. I will never have love. No one will ever love me. And it's just not the way it, it really is, right? Anybody who's made it through a heartbreak will realize you do, you do live. You do survive. You know, so that you have this amygdala, this almond-shaped structure, peanut-shaped. I've uh, somewhere on the internet say peanut. Another person says almond. You know what? It's shaped like a nut. It could be walnut. I don't know. I don't know why the the size of this thing is so important. It's tiny. <laughs> it takes peanut. You know, if you're picturing a double peanut in the shell, you're thinking it's pretty big. If you're picturing a walnut and a peanut by itself. You know, it's. I don't know why we're trying to compare things to to beans, which is what a peanut is, by the way. It is not a nut. But anyways, that's a whole different thing. And I won't, we're not going to get into Georgia's biggest yield crop in this podcast. That doesn't seem like a good way for us to start to sidetrack ourselves. So this almond-shaped structure uh, set deep within the mammalian brain or this limbic system, if you're a sciencey person. And I will tell you right now, if you type in amygdala and cognitive thinking, <laughs> you will pull up some information that you will wish you hadn't. <laughs> and not because it's grotesque or weird or freaky. It's just a lot. <laughs> and it is super sciency. And if you're not into super sciency, you're going to get about 14 sentences into this stuff. And if, if you even make it that far, uh, can I possibly find a part of it right now? Um, th- okay, so this is this is an abstract description of the amygdala. And this is what I found on the internet, like ncbi.nlm.nih.gov, right? Like even the website sounds like it's just going to be a cluster frick of information. Um, So here we are. (laughs) Seriously, this makes me laugh a lot. So the the, uh, the, the amygdala described in an abstract way. the, for, it starts off pretty simple. The amygdala is a fascinating complex structure that lies at the center of much of our current thinking about emotion. But it goes on to say, this piece will focus on three main aspects of amygdala function, namely attention, value representation, and decision-making by reviewing both non-human and human data. Two mechanisms of effective attention will be described. Right? That's not all that complicated, but that's where it stops being easy to understand. And I'm not a dimwit, but I'm just saying the deeper you get, and this is just the abstract, you get down into the, past the introduction, get into definition and anatomy, uh, I'm telling you, it's, and this is just the amygdala portion, but I bring it up because the amygdala is this, it, it, it doesn't have a filter. It, it responds immediately. It is, it is designed for the fight, flight, or freeze function. There's a fourth F, um, and it's all about sex. So they, in the book, it calls it the four Fs, fight, flight, freeze, and sex, because I'm going to try to, you know, not go NC17 on this one. I'm being very mindful of using the F word and the S word in the podcast moving forward. Because like John Stewart likes liked to say back when he hosted The Daily Show, if you're going to use the F word or the S word, it better have a really important reason for coming out of your mouth because you're on television and so you don't want to sound like somebody who doesn't know other words besides F and S. And so I, I take that on um, 
on the podcast too. Plus I speak from stage a lot and I do interviews on television and I don't want to get myself trained to think that I can just start throwing F-bombs around. Luckily, I have been in the hospitality industry for 20 some years. And so that enables me to feel like when I'm on stage, when the microphone's on, profanity doesn't need to come out. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed that 30 second diatribe on why you should or should not use profanity in a public forum. So (laughs) let's go on. So you got this amygdala, right? It's this almond peanut size shaped thing, mammalian brain deep inside the limbic system. Good. Have I confused you yet? Great. Keep going with me. This is awesome. So when your heart gets broken, when something bad you know happens, and again, bad things, good things, it's all about your perspective. Anyways, <laughs> it really is about your perspective. Uh, I'm sure I've done a show about that. And if not, I'll do another one soon. So you have heartbreak. You get a bad grade on your test. And you think, let's just stick with heartbreak because that's what this book talks about. And heartbreak is something that definitely happens in college a lot. So you have a heartbreak and you think the world is over. It's everything's coming to an end. Why did they leave me? Why am I not good enough? Right? When somebody leaves you, it has nothing to do with you, by the way. It's all, it's, it's them, right? They've got issues that they're trying to resolve. You don't connect with them. They can say, well, I'm leaving you because you chew with your mouth open and you smoke cigarettes and you watch the Kardashians or you watch too much football. It's like, all right, I don't watch too much football. You don't like football. If you liked football, you would think I watched just the right amount of football. <laughs> so people will break up with you for a myriad of reasons, none of which have anything to do with you that, that you know, I guess like, like I like to say. One person's I never want to see you again is another person's I've been looking for you everywhere. Somebody the other day was like, oh yeah, one man's trash is another man's treasure. I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm not calling anybody trash here. So don't think that that's what that quote is saying. It literally is saying that one person's I don't want to ever see you again is somebody else's I have been looking for you everywhere. You will connect and you will have enough common uh common um, commonalities. You'll have the chemistry, the compatibility, the mutual respect built upon uh, just a genuine affection for each other. And that's going to turn into love. And then sometimes it doesn't go that way. And so the amygdala wants to tell you that life is over as you know it. It wants to put you into fight, flight, or freeze. It, It puts you into this state of grief and guilt and sadness. And it has no filter. It is not meant to have a filter. People are like, oh, I'm going to train my amygdala then to never have to have, never feel that way. That's not the amygdala's person. That's like, that's like trying to train a spoon to be a fork. Right? It, it's not. You know, it, it, well, I'll just grind some gears into it and make it into a spork. Again, that's not the point. <laughs> the amygdala exists so that if you do hear a gun go off in a mall, <laughs> that you run that you realize that this is the moment to fight, flight, or freeze, right? This thing, this thing was created in, in us for a, an actual functionality. Back when we were cavemen, if we heard a twig break in the woods, if we heard a rock fall down a cliff, right, that's a sign that something's moving around out there. That's either, we're either a predator or a prey in that moment. So we either need to fight it so we can eat it, or we need to flee from it so it doesn't eat us. And this, and this thing, this amygdala, this little gun knows maybe it started off the size of a pencil eraser, and over a course of time, it grew to the gigantic size of an almond. And it exists for a reason, and it won't go away, and we don't want it to go away. Because there are times where you do need to understand that you've got to fight, flight, or freeze. You've got to get yourself going towards something. 
it's one of the things that can shoot cortisol through your body. You know, when you realize, oh my God, there's two hours before the test and I haven't studied. And now you're like, wow, 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 bang, bang. Your eye, your pupils dilate. You're super focused. You know, you, you're, you're, you feel like you're in the zone. I mean, there are reasons why the amygdala is very valuable. And going through heartbreak is not one of them. <laughs> it's not. Because it's got you in this thing where you feel like you're you're going to die because your body is going through the exact same kind of hormonal shifts as it would if you if your life were in danger, right? You're shooting this cortisol into your system, and it's like, oh my god, red alert, red alert, red alert! But there's no bear, there's no wolf, or there's no deer. So either way, you're not predator or prey in this moment, but your body thinks that it is, and this is where the um, cerebral cortex comes into play. Okay, because one of the functions of this higher brain, this cerebral cortex, is to talk sense to our emotional brain. Right, this is what human beings have been use, have been using to calm themselves since the advent of our entire existence. You have this cerebral cortex that sees the. The, sees the rock falling down the cliff and hears it falling down the cliff and immediately wants to get into fight or flight mode and then it looks up and it realizes that a tree had just fallen over and everything's good. It's what talks sense into you and says, hey, hey, it's all good. It's all good. When the amygdala is in overdrive, it's hard to hear the cerebral cortex so that whenever you're telling yourself that no one will ever love you, that you're stupid, ugly face, that all of this negative nonsense that's pouring out of your mouth whenever things don't go right in a relationship, the amygdala, it, it wants you to respond right away because if you don't, the bear will eat you. The cerebral cortex, is it takes some time to look around, gather more information, make sure that the bear isn't actually there. It's like, oh, good, we're not predator or prey right now. All good. Hey, amygdala, chill out. We got this. It just takes a little bit longer for the cerebral cortex to get involved because it's surveying the scene. Now, if it's a bear in the woods or a deer in the woods, it can figure that out pretty quick. But when it's heartbreak, it's not the same because your mind is sitting here swirling on the good times and the bad times and you hear a song or you see a car or you smell a, a cologne or you walk past a restaurant that you loved, and all of a sudden you flash back to that memory of a time when you were with that person, and now it's like you're reliving the sadness all over again. So this amygdala is just constantly pouring this cortisol and this emotional energy into you, and the cerebral cortex is having a hard time being heard over it. But it's there. It, the cerebral cortex is there. See, this mammalian brain's asset is its ability to, to make snap judgments. This amygdala's ability to make snap judgments is what saved humans' lives for millennia. All right? It doesn't, it just automatically does this. It doesn't take time to, to process any other information. It just hears a stick crack. It just, you know, sees the lover walk away and it just immediately goes into freak out mode because that's what it was intended to do. It's the cerebral cortex's mind's strength it's its ability to provide us with more detailed information. Very key there. The cerebral cortex provides us with detailed information so we can better evaluate the situation. I just took four different websites of scientific data and brought it down into those sentences. All right? Your mammalian brain's asset is its ability to make a snap judgment. 
And part of this stuff too is coming out of the book. So I like combined all of this stuff into this little Trello board and was like, say these sentences and this should connect. (laughs) Unless you're going out to get your PhD and amygdala amygdala and cerebral cortex functioning, you're probably not going to want to have to read what I just all read. So you've got this mammalian brain, this amygdala, whose ability is to make snap judgments to get you ready for battle or to run from battle. Whereas the cerebral cortex's strength is to is its ability to take in detailed information and to better evaluate the situation. Therefore, you can make a better decision about how you should be feeling or acting or what you should be doing, et cetera. Right? It just takes longer to get there. Right? Um, some of the things that I've read about this, it's like uh, precise cognitive information is the... Uh, is, so... Okay, again, that uh, that's some super scientific stuff. Um, <laughs> very precise data is the cerebral cortex's way of distinguishing what is important and what is not. And this is what makes us the king of the planet. Animals don't have this, right? They hear a twig snap, you see, you, twig, twig snap, you see a deer, it's all freaking out, freaking out, it's ready to go. You know, if it calms down and goes back down to eating grass, it's good to go. Right? If not, if, if not, and here's another twig, it's gone. But our brain's ability to take in massive amounts of data and be able to whittle it down to what's important and what's not and then be able to, you know, harness that inside the brain is why we have become the creatures that we have. So I'm going to stop reading off the show notes and just, because re- frankly, I've pretty much covered it. Your amygdala overreacts, highly emotional, fight or flight. Your cerebral cortex it's what takes all the information in after a heartbreak and says, you're not going to die. You're not going to, life's not going to be over. Everything's going to be fine. The issues that we have is that when you're, I was going to say in college, but let's face it. I mean, this is happening to people who are 80. Is that when something bad happens, we, we will overreact. And the amygdala will take over. It'll freaking freak us out. And we won't be paying attention to the cerebral cortex. And so you want to be extremely mindful of this. And whenever you're feeling fight or flight or freeze or or sex, and and, and it's not for the best of reasons, then just be really weary of why you're making the decisions. And, and, And just be mindful. Be mindful more than weary. But if you've ever wondered, um, you know, when you get into a social situation where maybe you feel like you have to prove something to the cool click or to whatever is happening there. And, um, you know, you feel like maybe your hormones are super ramped up. You're, you've got a lot of cortisol, a lot of anxiety inside of you. And then you start drinking a little too much. And again, this book is, it clearly states that the four F's fight, flight, freeze, or f- sex, um, not so surprising then whenever you get people in a very you know stressful social situation where they're trying to fit in and they want to seem cool and they don't want people making fun of them at the beer pong table or whatever, that a lot of co-eds end up getting down that night. And so, again, just being mindful of these things puts you ahead of so many other people. And like, oh, you know, why did I drink so much? Why did I, you know, I go into the bedroom with that person? Why did I make the decisions I did? The amygdala was in charge. You want to see about putting the cerebral cortex in charge more often. And we're going to wrap up on that because I could literally talk about this for another half hour. But I'll say in closing that 
watch around society right now when people are talking about COVID, uh, the quarantine, Black Lives Matter, the 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 election coming up, um, the reopening of everything as the quarantine starts to end and maybe it's going to come back. Just watch how people react around one another and start to notice, do you see where the amygdala is in charge? Do you see where people are overreacting, being over-emotional, getting into that fight, flight, or freeze mode? Or do you see where people are using their cerebral cortex and they're coming at it more calmly, well-thought-out statements are being said, where you can see that they're clearly in charge of their emotions and therefore they're in charge of their actions better, right? Being in charge of your emotions doesn't mean that your actions will always be correct, but it definitely puts you in a better situation for those actions to be of a higher purpose, of a higher sense of self. When you're acting emotionally and you're triggered, you're not going to behave in a way that you're going to wake up the next day and be proud of. You see politicians do it. You see news anchors do it. You see the people who come on the news shows do it. They get emotionally triggered. They start saying some ridiculous stuff, and then they have to spend the next week backtracking or tweeting about it. So when you see these things going on, start noticing Literally be like, mm, amygdala's in charge. Cerebral cortex is in charge. Ooh, ooh, amygdala, amygdala. Ooh, really, your amygdala's in charge. And then watch and see the people who are more calm. And that's the people who are using their cognitive ability to think in order to respond. We're going to do a lot more shows this year about um, cognitive thinking because as the information age begins to... I think the information age has already come to an end and we've already moved into the conceptual slash cognitive thinking stage of human development. But now that all information is available to us at any moment that we want it, as long as we have a Wi-Fi connection, being able to say that you know a bunch of stuff doesn't matter anymore. But being able to conceptualize that stuff, being able to see how one sector of the economy could commingle with another sector of the economy, or how one branch of psychology could now commingle with this form of engineering, right? Being able to see how different jobs actually have some things in common and then drawing the line and the parallels to them. That's the kind of cognitive thinking that is going to get you the best job ever when moving forward. Robots are going to take over whatever manual labor is repetitive, and that's humans are going to wash out of that. So as you're thinking about what you're going to be doing 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, be thinking, is this a conceptual, cognitive thinking skill-based job? Because if it is, until robots fully become AI, you know, until they, what do they call that, until we reach the... Not the inflection point. Oh, it's something where like literally the AI becomes just as smart as we are. Um, when that happens, I just watched a show on that. Bummer. I was going to finish that. I was going to make you guys think I was so smart. I was going to make you guys think I was so smart. But it, alas, I'm not there yet. So <laughs> I, could, I could pause this and Google it, but I won't. I'll just let it go. So anyways, uh, so anyway, think about all that. That's I've given you a lot here. But know this, start paying attention to people in society and ask yourself, is the amygdala in charge or is the conceptual cognitive thinking in charge? Cognitive thinking, amygdala. I want you to be looking for that out there, guys. And if you're noticing that amygdala is in charge for you, I need you to stop and breathe and ask yourself, what the hell is really going on? Because if a bear is not attacking you or you don't need to eat a deer that day, there is no reason why you should be in fight or flight mode. All right? Calm down. Everything will be okay to a certain extent. Maybe, maybe not. We could all turn into virus zombies. I have no idea. (laughs) 
But if you're still not a virus zombie next week, come back for another episode of College Success Habits. Thanks a lot for joining, everybody. We'll see you again next week. Bye-bye. 